Father, this evening we come to you, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. We look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to you, Spirit of God, to teach us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. We need, Lord, that that we might know you, Lord. We might see you. We might understand your word. We may be prepared for a time and a season like this. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Help us to remember what we hear. The fundamental principles of the kingdom and the king. Many of us may not be able to remember all of scripture, but help us to know what we need to know that will sustain us today and in the days to come, that will cause us to endure till the end. Feed us, Lord. Feed us. Let it become our life. Your word become our life, Lord. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we we, we are looking at uh, Rebecca. So the last picture we had about Rebecca was Rebecca going home with the, probably with the picture on her shoulder. That's the genuine, real Rebecca of the Bible. Today, of course, you have the picture over your shoulder. I don't know how they've managed to do that. That's a different Rebecca. <laughs> they, they have that knack how to take the picture over their shoulder. But this Rebecca has the picture full of living water on her shoulder. That's the picture of the church. So we'll continue looking at, but remember, don't look at the picture as of salvation. This is post-redemption. The saved child of God becoming a young man, a father, or in spiritual other terms, becoming the bride of Christ Jesus. (coughs) So we are in the midst of a pandemic, no signs of it abating. But like I said, one of the reasons the fear factor with COVID-19 is so high, even though the fatality rate isn't that high, actually much, much lesser than most of the other serious diseases, this one's fatality rate is very low. But the fear, which is the lockdown in so many ways, draconian measures, is because there is no cure so far. That's where the fear factor comes. Even for for cancer, they can take you for radiation, chemo, all that. But for this one, seems like so far, no cure. And that's the reason you have the situation. Yet the greatest disease mankind has ever faced and still facing is called sin. And the fatality rate for sin has always been 100%. The wages of sin is simply death. Also because no sin, or rather sinner, will be ever allowed into God's new creation. There has been only been one antidote to sin, or the wages of sin, that is death, only one antidote. That is the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the life of Jesus Christ. Okay, I put life at the end 
for our order. Our order is that. He died, he rose again, we believed and his life becomes our life. The more his life becomes our life, the more is our hope. So every man who comes into the kingdom of God is baptized into the life, into the death and the resurrection and lives the life of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he or she will be swallowed by death and Hades and ultimately the lake of fire. So we go back again. Simple fundamentals before we get into today's word. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10, then 11 and 13 and 14 and 15. Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse 11 gives us the guarantee. For scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Remember, our guarantee comes from what scripture says. Scripture says, Whoever believes on Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. You don't have to worry. You will not be put to shame on that day. Whoever has put their trust in Jesus Christ, you can be 100% sure. Because it's backed up by God's word. Verse 13 again gives us that guarantee. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's irrelevant what condition you come to Christ. Shall be saved. Okay, That's the power of his name. The guarantee of the scripture. Then verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's what we are doing over here. Okay? So there are two kinds of people. One group that preaches and the large group that sends them. Okay? The church sends, helps in sending preachers. So you will see in the salvation of mankind, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved the wicked, most wicked, evil, corrupt person also. Even Kim 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 Sung. Kim Jong. He is supposed to be I don't know, the report says he could be critical. Even he can be saved. Probably he's got the blood of tens and thousands, hundreds and thousands on his hand. But even he can be saved. It's unbelievable who all can be saved. <laughs> unbelievable. That is the incredible Work of Christ Jesus and incredible kindness and mercy of God. You turn to Christ, you can be saved. So, the most important part, if you look here about salvation of mankind is hearing. How can they be saved unless they hear? How can they be saved? How can they call upon the name of Jesus if they have not heard about the name of Jesus? Okay? So hearing is the most important part. Everything begins with hearing. Okay? Everything begins with hearing. Hearing would have been very easy if there was only one voice. Hearing becomes confusing when there are so many voices. Last few days we were looking at Eliezer finding Rebecca. Spiritually speaking, the problem has not been so much of Eliezer finding Rebecca. 
The problem has been Rebecca finding Eliezer. What if at the well <clears throat> there were 20 or 30 men waiting and all asked for water? And only one has actually come all the way to redeem her. How would you know the voice? It is very easy at the well you have one man and one girl. It's very easy. Okay. But what if there are 20? The physical picture is one. The spiritual reality in which we live is a different thing. Then among that 20 or 30 of them, can you recognize his voice? This is the genuine. That is where the danger in which, and God puts us into that. He says, if you really, really put a premium on your soul, then you will also be serious about the call. Otherwise, go. Okay, you can come in. Okay. In Matthew 7 and verse 14, if you go to Matthew 7 verse 14, Jesus makes it very clearly. Narrow is the gate. Narrow. Very narrow in the gate. Okay, all the dear ones who are in lockdown watching and eating. Remember, gate is very narrow. I know you're not going out into the sun. All of you will be fair and hopefully not round. The gate is very narrow. Okay, just joking. Okay, but narrow is the gate. <clears throat> Difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The most, the kindest soul who ever walked on earth is saying this. The way he has shown the most wicked man can come in. Yet he tells us the other side of the truth. The gate is very narrow. The way is very difficult. And very few will find it. And then, immediately verse 15, he says something. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Okay, see the context in which he is talking. He's talking about eternal life, you're talking about this way, and then immediately in verse 15 he says, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They, they look like she sheep, they look like shepherds. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Outwardly they are not. Outwardly they are very nice. They look like us. <coughs> Like anybody, any shepherd, any sheep. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. He says, beware. That's what I'm talking about. The issue is not Elias or finding Rebecca. The issue is with Rebecca. Finding even the, among those ten virgins, they were all virgins, pure and chaste. Five got locked out. So verse 16 says, you will know them by their fruits. But the issue is, honestly, we cannot judge everybody's fruit. Hmm? We cannot judge everybody's fruit. Because it's a very confusing thing. Because when you look at the fruit, then people do a word study on fruit and come up with something. And if you look at the word study of the fruit, we don't know who is actually good. Okay. Some wicked fruit is very evident, but in most cases, 
that is always also not very sure. So honestly, we cannot judge when you talk about fruit so clearly. But yet I will tell you, you can watch out for one fruit. Elias are at the well. Jesus at the well. Okay, Two pictures. One is the picture of betrothal. The other is the picture of redemption. Both pictures of the Holy Spirit. Both ask for water. Both asked for water. But they were not actually there to take. They were actually there to give. Did you notice? They both asked for water. But they did not actually want water. They could have taken water if they wanted. But they were asked water, but they were not actually there to take. They were actually there to give. That is a fruit you must look for. Because one of that sign of the wolf in sheep's clothing is they are inwardly wolves, meaning they actually are there to take. And after some time you will see it. Because they will keep asking and asking and asking and asking. They are not actually servants of Abraham. They are they are those who trade in the name of Abraham. They don't redeem souls. They actually traffic in souls. And you will know that. That is one sign I have noticed always. One sign I have noticed in all my years about. No, Some of them fantastic teaching. But even for a Sunday teaching, they will still ask you for money. On YouTube. And then if you listen to their teaching very, very, very closely, quietly and subtly, they broaden the gate. And they broaden the road. Because they are not actually in the business of redeeming your soul. They are actually in the business of trafficking your soul profit. So be very careful. Watch them closely. They will never take Isaac to Rebecca. No, they will never take Rebecca to Isaac. They will take Isaac to Rebecca. Little by little by little by little they are taking Isaac to Rebecca. But the genuine call is to take Rebecca to Isaac. But you listen to their ministry little by little. They are not taking the church to Christ. They are bringing the world to Rebecca. Taking Rebecca quietly, subtly to the world. Watch out. Okay? So that's why I said, even on the other side of the spectrum, like, uh, let me be honest, I'm a charismatic Pentecostal preacher for 25 years, but on the other side who are not charismatic, they are unbelievably godly, righteous people, and I don't doubt their ministry at all when it comes to this sanctification part, all of them. No? I'm talking about people like Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, Paul Washer, John Piper, Cannot question that part of their ministry. Absolutely righteous people. And they actually do the work of sanctifying 
the bride. They take care of their flock, protect their flock, they do it. Only thing is that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is an issue. Where people like John Piper will stand in the middle and not, some of them go overboard about it. But that is the power. You can teach as much truth as you want. But the grace to keep it comes from the Holy Spirit. And grace again is not a doctrine. Grace is the actual power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Spirit of Grace. But otherwise you look, that's what I said. I listened to, I've read all of them. I was I'm not a listener, I was a reader. So Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, read, and I found godly righteous men in every denomination. So I have no issues with any one of them who is taking Rebecca to Christ. I have issues with the most Pentecostal of Pentecostals who takes Christ to Rebecca. I have major issues with them. Okay. Major issues. And they will say they are filled with the Holy Spirit and all kind of signs and wonders and all. But you listen to their doctrine. They are taking Christ to Rebecca into the world and not the other way. So you look at people and you will see the consistency in their message. We can go wrong here and there when it comes to end times and eschatology. Okay, But you cannot go wrong about salvation and sanctification. You cannot go wrong there. End times, nobody is sure. When Jesus walked on earth, even he wasn't sure the day he would come back. Even he did not know. No man knows the, he's not even the son. Even he did not know. So if he can go wrong on the date and the timing of his coming, we can also go wrong. Okay, it's okay. Doesn't matter for midterm, pre-tribulation, mid, end, all that, rapture. That's all okay. But you cannot go wrong on the doctrine of salvation and sanctification. You cannot go wrong. So that's what I'm saying. The most kind, compassionate man who ever walked on planet Earth was also absolutely consistent about his message. And all the crowds and even most of his disciples leaving his ministry did not change his message. Did not change his message. He did not change his message. He never allowed pressure of the crowd to change his message at all. Or change his purpose. Okay? So please understand, why are we studying Old Testament? To understand the New Covenant. Eliezer cannot change the message. He has sworn an oath to Abraham that Isaac will not go back. And Abraham has said, you have my power and my possessions to bring a bride for my son. But if she's not willing, you are free. And that's the cue we as servants of God take. If you are not willing to go to Christ, I'm under no oath to minister to you. I'm under no pressure to minister to. I am under pressure of the Holy Spirit to minister to people who want to go to Christ. There's no pressure. If Eliezer did not have that pressure, and the Holy Spirit does not have that pressure, his servants also should not have any pressure. The ten, let us say, ten men accompanying Eliezer is not going to have a pressure which Eliezer does not have. And we are the servants of God, of the Spirit of God. We should not have pressure of trying to take people who don't want to go to Isaac. Because we should never forget the message and the purpose of redemption. 
never ever bring it down. There should never be a never be sister stuff to pastors. I'm saying, okay, never be under pressure. If crowds leave, I remember in the beginning when the messages started going, and in some countries when they took that message, received the messages, the pastors were shocked. The 5,000 member church within weeks became 500 member. Because when they changed the message and the message went according to the word of God, the people left. Then they realized our ministry has really begun. This so far, it was, it was playing with the word. We don't play with the word. It is not bride at any cost. Okay, he's paid an enormous cost for his bride. And we have to stick to that pattern. So Rebecca is a picture of the church. And she's got that picture on her shoulder full of water. Full of water. Living water. Okay, living water. Full of water. The water that's on her picture, which she has drawn from the well, remember, has to be accepted by the Spirit of God. Who is the one who is asking for the water? Is the Spirit. Meaning the Spirit and the water has to match. It is no ordinary person who is asking for the word. The Spirit of God who is asking for the word. A type. So the word we preach has to re- agreed by the Spirit who who inspired it. It cannot be off our head and our understanding and our emotions. It has to agree with the Spirit of God. Okay. This is the most important test. Second Timothy chapter 3.16 Most important test for every servant of God and every child of God. I call it the concrete test. All scripture what does it say? All scripture means all scripture, not some scripture. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Other versions will actually use God breathed. The spirit of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is where it all begins. The word of God is our first and foremost resort in this. And it's very clear, all scriptures, all scripture, and not bits and pieces you like. Bits and pieces you like. Not scriptures which you very selectively pick, which supposedly seems to place no demand on you. You are not like Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36 verses 22 to 24. So many believers have the spirit of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah, got it? 36, 22 to 24. The king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns from scripture, this is Jeremiah's letter, right? That the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid. 
That's the people around him. Nobody is afraid. Nor did they tear their garments. The king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. There are people in their minds sits with a knife or scissors and cut off the words of God which they don't like. I'm talking about preachers who make people like that. And they will say, no, God has only given me a message of hope. As such, they have so much trouble in the world when they come to church. They sound so compassionate. Well, Jesus looked at people who had more trouble than us 2,000 years ago. No medical insurance, daily wage workers, nothing of the facilities. And he looked at them and he told them, if any man. And he had tough messages for cities where he preached. And these people are with false compassion. You know what they do? They're cutting off scripture. And you look in their entire life ministry, they have never preached from entire portions of the Bible which actually talk to the man and the danger of thinking you are saved when you are not saved. Therefore, this was one king who did not get the burial of a king. God said, you will not get the burial of a king. You will get the burial of a donkey. And that's what he did, because he cut the word of God. One king alone in Israel and Judah's history did not get the burial of a king. And God himself said, you will not get the burial of a king. This is the danger we have to. So as a child of God, new or old, please, please, please be careful. All scripture is of God. All scripture. Don't listen to yourself or anybody who quotes promises without conditions. There are no such promises in the Bible. The promises in the Bible are connected with conditions also from a holy and a righteous God. Eliezer has come to take Rebecca, for to throw her to Isaac. Jesus is at the well to save the Samaritan woman. The problem is we want grace without truth, which is called cheap grace. Or we offer truth without grace. That is killer. It kills. Jesus did neither. So before you go further, check the word test. Does this preacher, or do I myself as a child of God, do I meet the word test? Word test. Is the word I am reading, studying, meditating, receiving, or listening to actually taking me to Christ? Or is it taking me quietly to the world? Is it making me more and more like Christ? Or actually making Christ more and more like me? Remember, that was the first sin of Israel. The first sin of Israel was not uh, thirsty for water and all those are cravings of the stomach. The first sin of Israel is when Moses was away. They made God in their image. That was their real first sin. They made God come down. When God is calling, come up, 
They said, no, you come down and worship with us. That was their actual first step of rebellion. It has never changed. For 2,000 years in church history, it is the same thing we are doing. We are bringing the sun down. Be careful. Be very, very careful when you listen to the word of God. Be very, very careful. So any denomination, we respect the man of God who does not change the nature of Christ. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter which denomination it is, when they change the nature of Christ. Be very careful of them. Even if they have very large congregation and working in supposedly all these gifts and full of the Holy Spirit, very careful. Eliezer won't bring Isaac to Rebekah. He has sworn an oath. He will take Rebekah to Isaac. And any Rebekah, since Rebekah is a whole body of believers, any part of that body who does not want to go to Isaac, he will leave them alone. He will leave them alone. Like Christ left them alone. You don't want to pay the price of being a disciple? You can leave. He asked them straight up, do you also want to leave? Also want to go? Then Peter said, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. So we understand. She ran <laughs> like I finished yesterday. Lavan took one look. He immediately understood what this is. What this is. And asked the question. And he also runs, gets Eliezer company to their house. We have enough fodder, we have room, everything. Please come, please come, please come. So we have Genesis 24, verses 32 and 33. The narrative begins. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels, provided straw and feed for the camels, water to wash his feet. And the feet of the men who were, was first time we have the men being mentioned. So far we didn't even know. That's how servants of God should be. As soon as lockdown is over, YouTube will go. You'll stick to audio. Okay. <laughs> okay. Please, brethren, have mercy on us. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm not making a rule, okay? But I'm saying I would like to get off YouTube. And the feet of the men who were with him. Okay. And food was set before them. So we are back. Okay. You will see a picture over there. You will only hear Eliezer speak. We don't see any of the other men speak. Okay, and this is what we have to strive daily, Lord. Let the Spirit of God speak through me and not I, O oh Lord. Let me not be in be even seen. Let it not be about me. Let it not be about my ministry. Let it not be, Lord, Lord, help me, help me, help me. The more we are able to be, the more Rebecca will be able to hear the voice of Christ. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. I will not eat. Did you see how, how beautiful it is? I will not eat. Turn with me to John chapter 4, 33 to 34. Same situation. Another man, that is our heavenly Isaac, and the Samaritan woman. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I'm also on an errand. And when I'm on my father's errand, I don't think about food. <laughs> I don't think about food. And this man also has traveled. Finally, they're going to get some home-cooked food. They're getting it home-cooked. Their kind of food they're going to eat after a long, 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 they must have eaten in inns here and there, dried, whatever they carried, cooked. They're going to get and must have an appetizing smell all spread. But my food is to do the will of him, Jesus says. And what does he say? What does he say? Yeah. I will not eat. I will not eat. So this is the second test. First test is the word test. The second test is the zeal test. The zeal test. Okay? The zeal test. Always check the zeal test. If you go to Genesis 24, 18 and 19, she said, drink my Lord. Okay? We have to look at different, you will see she and Eliezer have the same zeal for the work they are called to do. You need to have two kinds of zeal in your life. Check out. Okay? You should be zealous for the holiness of God and zealous for the work of God. Both. You need to have zealous for both. Jesus began his ministry being zealous for the holiness of God and was incredibly zealous throughout for the work of God. Okay. So he gives her this test and also the narrative says she was fair and chaste. Okay. You will see the narrative goes that way. We are uh, unbalanced. We may be zealous for one and not be zealous for other. Or we may be zealous for the other without being zealous for holiness. But God says, that's not my bride and that's not me. I am, you look at my son, he was zealous for holiness of his father and he was zealous for the work of the father. And we have to get this balance very clear. That is how you judge yourself. Am I balanced? And you judge ministries, preachers. You only have to go put them through these litmus tests. Listen to their preaching. Because they are all on YouTube all around the world like us also. You listen to their preaching. Are they balancing both? Are they balancing both? From their preaching, do you see there is a zeal for the character of God and there is a zeal for the work of God? Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 onwards. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It begins with zeal for holiness. Because if a man, in a, in a large house there are vessels of all kinds, some for noble, some for ignoble. But if a man cleanses himself, he will be Used for the vessel of honor. So that's where it begins. It doesn't begin with work. 
it begins with the work of sanctification. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything is put together. One, you are pursuing holiness in the hope the Holy One is coming. Not holiness for holiness sake, that every religion preaches. But in that there is no hope of anybody. But thus steps of holiness are really, really tough. But there is no hope in it. Okay? Appearing of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own people for what? They are zealous for good works. So they are zealous for holiness and zealous for good works. This is the actual true work of grace. This is how grace works. And this part of grace people conveniently overlook. And pastors also overlook. See, if they only want your money, then it doesn't matter what they teach you. They will teach you what your flesh likes. So you have to put through this test, everybody, including us when we preach from here. Are we balanced? The word of God, the zeal for two things of God, the sanctity of God and the work of God. Because grace has three parts. It's grace of God. The real true grace of God is three parts. First is Ephesians 2.8. We are saved by grace through faith. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So the first work of grace does is we are saved. We didn't do anything. We can't do anything about it. We just repent, believe in the work of Christ and we are saved by Grace through faith. That's the first work of grace. Once you have received grace, the second work of grace is what we read in Titus. What is that? The work of sanctification. And the third work of Christ is, grace does it, it starts working through you unto others. And that's First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. The man through whom God will teach us all these things. I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I was the worst wicked criminal I got saved. And now I am on the road to holiness because of grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Why? The third part of grace. I labored more abundantly than all of them. They all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In that thing, he puts across the three-part grace. Grace saved me, grace is sanctifying me, and grace causes me to zealously work for Christ. Once you have these three things, you have understood the full picture of grace, what Christ does with Rebecca. Eliezer's, meant Holy Spirit's ministry in and through Rebecca is working. Or, Rebecca is ready to be betrothed. So the question people will ask me, Pastor, what should I do? Pray. Answer is pray. Pray. But I pray. No, you don't. You ask for things. You don't pray. You ask for things. You don't really pray. Because if you really pray, you will know what to do. And you will also have the power to do it. If you really, really pray. 
The problem is much of our prayer is spent in that's if people pray, is in asking things. Turn with me, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Baptism of Jesus Christ. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven opened. Okay? While he prayed, the heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Okay? So he's praying. The power comes. And he steps out into ministry. Okay? He prayed. He prayed. Okay? He prayed. The question is, how long should you pray? Until you hear. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You don't have to do one thing. Lord, I'm not, I don't have to do anything until you speak to me. So if you are not speak to me, that it simply says, I'm not ready to do anything. <laughs> and I accept your judgment. <laughs> I'm not saved by works anyway. <laughs> I'm saved by your work. So you said in your word, cleanse yourself. So if I'm not hearing anything, that means I'm not ready to do anything in your name. Any man or any woman or any child who does anything in his name should be qualified by God to do it. So a young boy has been in the house ministering before Eli. That is Eli's ministry. He's ministering before Eli. He's not ministering before God yet. But one day he will hear. And one day he hears. After that he's not ministering before Eli. He's ministering before God. God says, now you are ready to hear. So it's not a big thing. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. So what he starts, he will finish. We don't have to start anything in his name. So the first and fundamental thing the Son of God himself shows is pray. How long? Consistently, steadily, unless you start hearing. He didn't tell them anything else. He said as he went, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they waited and they prayed. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 and 2, 1 and 2. This all continued with one accord in prayer and supply. They didn't do anything. They didn't feed the poor. They didn't do any social work. They didn't do one thing. All they did was pray. Why? Because we haven't heard yet. They prayed prayer and supplication. In chapter 2, verse 1 says, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all still after 10 days of prayer. They are still in one accord, which is a miracle. If you can get a church in 10 days to pray and be in still in begin and end in one accord, it's a miracle. So the Holy Spirit has completed His work in them. They are in one accord. You know that uh, sister Helen Berhane or something, her name, and I, I, Eritrea, who you, was put in that container, all the believers in this thing, no? She was talking about a situation where in the container, they are all in this heated container where they are prisoners of faith, or many Christians among them, and each one is sitting separately and won't even fellowship with each other because they belong to different denominations. Fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then verse 2 says, the Holy Spirit fell. Okay? Holy Spirit fell. So pattern is shown over there. Okay? It's not work that comes first. It's hearing that comes first. It's not salvation that comes first. It's hearing that comes. It comes from hearing. I have to hear to be saved. You know, that's why he gives us her earring. And then redeems our hands to work. Your hands are symbol of your work. But you have to hear before you can work. 
So the bride Rebecca is hearing and bracelets on her hand. Now you will hear and you will serve Isaac all the days of his life, your life. Luke chapter 6 verse 12 and 13. Now it came to pass in those days he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to him. So very simple. <laughs> he prayed whole night, came back in the morning and picked twelve. Because his father told him, who are they? Not a lot of them are there, Dada. So many of them. They're all following me. They all look alike also. And I'm not going to do anything other than what you tell me to do. So he prayed through the night. Morning God said, this, 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 and this one also. This one will betray you, but that is included. His call is to betray you. The other seven, eleven will follow you. That is also a call. Please don't be a son of perdition. What a, what a call, no? Judas' call was a call to betray. Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. Format doesn't change in the Bible. And the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. We'll leave the name, okay? Brought up Herod and Saul. Okay, Barnabas. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. What is a ministry to the Lord? Prayer. And fasted. The Holy Spirit said. Okay. Not that he audibly spoke. He spoke to them. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called. Let's go to verse 1 again. There were certain prophets and teachers. Few names are there. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manen. Okay? Along with them. So, while they were praying, Simeon must have heard. I think Holy Spirit is telling me Barnabas and Saul needs to be set apart. And the other guy's name, Lucius, also says, Did you hear? I think the Holy Spirit is saying these two. And the third one says, I also heard the same thing. I also heard the same thing. Okay, And Barnabas and Saul is hearing the I am being called, we are being called. Then these three people said, we think the Holy Spirit is telling all of us, you both are being called. You know, the first time, not the time when the Lord called me for ministry 25 years ago, when he called for ministry, I was like shocked. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> You're calling me for ministry full time? I said, okay, I'll keep quiet about it. I will go home for a two-month vacation, keep quiet about it. But before going home, I called three people in the church. I trusted godly, elderly three people and said, I want you to pray. They didn't, I didn't tell them together, three people separately. I said, I want you to pray. And when I get back, tell me what it is. When I came back, all three said, God has called you to full-time. It's called you full-time. Come out. I said, thank you. I heard it. I just wanted to know whether God was telling me, whether I imagine it, imagining it, or because the Spirit speaks the same thing, right? He cannot be contradicting each other. So that confirmed, man. That confirmation gives you a lot of comfort. Down the year you go and all those three people of that three, two are dead. One is alive in Singapore. Other two are dead. Okay, but it doesn't matter. Right? You know, it was confirmed. So they prayed. They heard. They ministered to the Lord, fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And verse 3 says, Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and they sent them away. 
That's how. It's as simple as it is. So in Genesis chapter 24 verse 12, look at patterns everywhere is the same. He on his knees probably before the pool. Not, I don't think just the camel knelt. I think he also knelt. Oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Finishes praying. Tang comes Rebecca. Everything works out. Things all put into place. Mission successful. 24 verse 26. He realized. He hasn't met her family and all, but he knows this is the girl. And what did he do? He bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Pattern has never changed. They were ministering to the Lord and praying and the Lord told them, separate Barnabas and Saul. And they fasted and prayed again and laid hands and said them. He prayed and the Lord showed the girl and he bent down and worshipped and said, thank you Lord, mission successful. You have answered the prayer of my master Abraham and Isaac. That's why we have to look at these patterns. These are God-established patterns in life from where we know. Yes, yes, nothing has changed. The Holy Spirit is still the same. God still works in his own patterns. He doesn't want us to be individuals because that is what humanism is. He wants us to be a body. He wants us to be a body. So if you actually, we don't have to read all those verses, we will skip. But if you listen to Elias's words to Rebecca's family, 10, 12, 13 verses are there. It's all about Abraham and Isaac. He will describe about Abraham and his only son Isaac and the commission Abraham had given to him. That's what Eliezer will talk. Abraham, Isaac, betrothal. Looking for a girl, what Abraham told, everything he will tell. Turn with me to John chapter 16, verses 13 onwards. Same thing. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Eliezer will not speak on his own authority. He will speak on the authority of Abraham. But whatever he hears, he will speak. So, Eliezer, what he heard from Abraham's lips, that only he will speak. See this incredible humility in the Trinity. Though they are equal and they are all God. There is unbelievable humility among them. He will tell you things to come. Okay, in verse 14. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Eliezer will not glorify himself. I want to talk to you about, you know, how smart I am. You need to hear my testimony. Abraham just told me, find a girl, this thing. But, you know, I found the way to this place. That's not an easy task. I must be really, really good. Otherwise, to pinpoint the GPS location or your house. Now, I'm really, really good. Okay. And then I did this test, you know what? And I found the right girl. Never speaks anything about that. <laughs> he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And verse 15. All things the father has are mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. This is what Jesus is talking about. He only talks about the father and mine. That is Jesus. So Eliezer will only talk about Abraham and Isaac. So will the Holy Spirit. Look at these Patterns in ministry. 
These are tests we have to go through so that whoever we watch, you always have to have those discernment. Always have to have that discernment. Now we go to 24 and verse 54. Now he has given his entire report about where he came from, what he came for, everything. And they have a good meal and all. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning. Let us, I don't know how far Haran is from Canaan. How long it would have cost them to travel. A few months maybe. <laughs> Who'd want to leave the next day? <laughs> Every bone in your body is hurting. Right? It's hurting. You are tired. After so many months you ate such nice meal, had a nice shower. You rested, slept well. You know, few days and go. No, but that's not what he says. Then they arose in the morning and said, send me away to my master. Haste to start the journey for Isaac. Okay? Haste. That's the question we have to always ask. Is there that urgency in us? Sense of urgency in us? It is only the sense of urgency which will cause the church to lift up their heads when they see these things happening. Otherwise, depressed. Depressed. What causes in the midst of tribulation, what causes Rebecca to raise up her head? Because she knows where she is going. And those who do not know or has no sense of urgency to go there will have no excitement when these things happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22, this is how Paul ends a letter to the Corinthian church, the first letter. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. Oh Lord, come. Please don't wait for these people. Please just come. These guys are not interested at all. They just want your grace and have a blast on earth. They are not interested in you. Lord, let him be cursed. Meaning, let them go into tribulation. You please come, Lord. I am ready. A few of us are ready. Please come, Lord. Don't wait for these guys who are not ready. Let them be accursed. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct? Can I, can I have it in NIV? Because NIV, I like it. Because of one construction in NIV. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and... Ah, speed is coming. Your preparation... Speeds the day of the Lord. When it comes to future events, there is only one thing the church has some control over. That is, the church can speed the day of the Lord. By its sanctity. When Christ sees the bride is ready, the day is speeded up. Okay, you can leave now. Part of the way, get her home. Okay, that's why I love that. And I will, otherwise, otherwise it's all good to hasten. Okay, but modern day English kids don't understand hasten. First Thessalonians 5.23 May God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, everything is connected with that. Sanctity is connected with his coming. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul finishing his journey. 
my departure is near, being poured. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not at me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What does it mean? Only those who are longing for his appearing will fight the good fight, will finish their race, and will fight to keep their faith until the end. They are the only ones who will endure because it's connected with his appearing. Nothing will change. And Rebecca too was probably looking forward, looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. Not to, she didn't know about Isaac. But she was preparing, preparing. One day, my knight in white charger will come, shining armor will come. And, you know, there it was. And it's going to be a long, long journey back. And there is only one guide, Eliezer, and his servants. Destination is Isaac. Only one guide. Eliezer and his servants. I put them as one guide, not guides, one guide. It's a long, long, hard journey. So Jesus was not trying to disgrace the, discourage the crowds when they tried following him. His actual desire is that they follow him. But he wants to think it through. Because the history of the kingdom of God on earth is the history of dropouts. Didn't many drop out in the IIT in the first year? Everybody wrote, but they could sit and study for, I've heard this in IIT. They can pass the entrance, but when they get in and understand the pressure, they realize they cannot handle this pressure and they drop out. People all aim for this, but question is, can you handle that pressure? And the worst job profile, if you look at job, this too as a job, the greatest number of dropouts is in ministry. The greatest number in any career, if you want to put it as career, the greatest number of dropouts is in ministry. Because you cannot sustain this unless you stick to the word and to the spirit. And half those who have not dropped out have gone the other way. They are sustained by some other power. Some other power, not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I call them pastors by day and masters by night. Because you cannot, this is one area where you cannot sustain without, without power. Every other area you can with your, with your intelligence. Government, anywhere, you just need to know your job. It won't work here. It won't work here. So God is, the kingdom of God, it's full of dropouts. That's why Jesus said, count your cost. Count your cost. He's not trying to discourage. He's going to discourage. So sometimes his words can sound very, very shocking. So because his words are shocking, we don't try to sugarcoat it. Our job is to preach and present the word of God as it is. Otherwise, we won't get a Rebecca. We won't get a Rebecca. The Rebecca is framed by the Holy Spirit. But through the word. 
In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, he will have some tough but true words. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, unless Rebecca denies herself, she can't follow Eliezer all the way. In Rebecca's case, after 50 kilometers or 100 kilometers, she cannot say, I'm turning back, I'm going back, this is too much for me. We are talking about physical realities, but in spiritual reality, that is not what happens in the church. Anybody can drop out anytime. In physical reality, God stopped Israel from going back to Egypt. But today, does he stop anybody from going back? No, he does not. He didn't even stop his own disciples from going back. If you want to leave, you can leave. Whoever decides to save his life will lose it. He says, but I will tell you one thing. At the end of the day, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. I will tell you the end result of everybody who tried to save their lives. In eternity, they have woken up or will wake up and found they actually lost it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is to a man he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? What profit is this? What, what's the point? Have you, lost, have you looked at it? Eternal terms he's talking about. So a few days later, it is in the same chapter, but a few days later, at least 10, 12, Two weeks, maybe, we don't know, but at least a couple of weeks later, probably. There is an encounter with three people. Jesus will have encounter with three people. Six verses that if you sit there and meditate, no, it's not an ordinary hammer. You know that machine tool hammer is called a jackhammer. It will hit you with the power of a jackhammer. That's six verses, what he says. So let's turn to Verse 57 onwards, chapter 9, verse 57 and 58. Six verses. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road. Someone said to him, that's why his name is not given. Someone can be anyone in any period of time, including today. Someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's a very bold statement often we make. Okay, that's what God says. Count your cost. I understand your zeal and all. But when somebody says, I will, I, I want you to be there till the end. You have no clue for what all I had to go through for saying, I will. I practically lost everything in life for saying, I will. What you are seeing now is restoration for I will. And to going in this ministry without a mission organization, financial support, nothing. But you know you were called and you were sent and you were sent and you left. You never asked questions. You wake up in your morning, pack your bag and you go. In the cold you sleep on the newspaper, you sleep in the train, in the heat you sit with a towel with wet. You did it all. Why? Because you knew you had to go. Because you said many, many years ago, I will. I will. And you knew these verses, you cannot turn back now. It's if all may live that is these songs, right? The reality of it. Now it's very comfortable. Kya baat hai, na? <laughs> it was never like that. 
and it's always not like that okay but what we all have gone through is a not even a microscopic part of what god's servants have gone through thing is that i will go wherever what did he say lord i will follow you wherever you go but the question is do we know where he will take us are you willing to follow so what does his answer mean his answer is strange he says foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head he said if you follow me you will have no worldly security i guarantee you no worldly security the only security you will have me is me no worldly security no worldly security telling you the reality of the call of jesus christ the reality when you make these statements like this <laughs> i remember i had to go to bhutan once many 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 years i i had to go it was all done meetings were all fixed and i was in bhopal tickets are not available like i said i know trains I can still remember i knew one train that goes as via bhopal goes via calcutta which is called shipra express so i traveled from calcutta um, bhopal to calcutta if you know your map that's not the way you want to go to siliguri bhopal to calcutta and when i got down at the station i was so ill with fever just on the way to sialda stopped at a medical stop bought a strip of paracetamol took from sialda to siliguri reached at 4 in the morning and these are like you no know, you have to look through the window otherwise the station passes you by in the dark there is nothing those days no mobile nothing so sitting at 3 in the morning looking which station is which station fog is there you can't even see train stops for a minute you have to get down and i know i have to get down at this station because at 5 o'clock there is a bus and that's the only bus which will take you to your destination so i'm looking 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 thank god train reached on time then you sit in the air, in the railway station in that platform nobody there not even a dog is wagging his tongue like in egypt 2 hours and i'm still burning with fever the bus comes finally at 5 o'clock and then on the way passengers get in 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 it's packed another 4 hours to reach and i'm burning with fever and i said lord what did i sign into where am i going what am i doing this for there is no money in this there is no offering in this there is nobody even to call and say i did it was my story of my life when a mission is over there is nobody even to report to i had a great time it's nobody you just go you said going 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 nothing and i was then ladies all got in so i gave my seat also burning i was hanging over there and i said lord please lord what is this and then he showed me a vision i still remember in a bus at a place called binaguri <laughs> these things i ingrained in your mind you see a vision i was hanging there saying lord i'm feverish and now i'm haven't even reached my destination after that two more days before i reach over there lord what am i doing and he showed me the vision of his son on the cross and he says are you willing he said no complaints lord i am willing <laughs> absolutely no complaints sorry sorry for complaining okay and the word of god is talking about here he's saying do you have any worldly security no worldly security he promises 
Yes, there is incredible security of following Jesus. But it's the security of his presence and his person and eternal security. Death cannot touch you. Corruption cannot eat you. And grave cannot hold you. That is the security he gives you. And COVID-19 cannot kill your soul. These are security only he can give you. Nobody can give you. So that's what he's talking about. No earthly security. He may give everything. Or he may take everything. But one thing is sure. He is yours. In Philippians 4 verse 12 and 13. That's what Paul is trying to tell. I know how to be a waste. And I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. He says, you know what? He is my security. Second Timothy chapter 1, 15 to 18. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. This is the end of this ministry, this great man's ministry. You know, people, you know, people don't like, I was doing an ordination service in Sikkim a couple of years back, one of the large churches over there. And I was, this was one of the texts God had given me from Timothy. And I say, you all young men are standing over here and you're all going to be ordained into ministry. A whole lot of them from all over Sikkim, they had come. I said, this is the, after Christ Jesus, this is the greatest man in the new covenant. This is the end of his ministry, lying in jail. And his churches have all abandoned him. And nobody even bothers to find out where he is. These are the days where Christians are scum, the refuse of the earth. The Roman Empire looks at them like dirt. They don't even matter. And there are probably hundreds and hundreds of prisons in Rome. And one man called Onesiphorus is going from prison to prison to prison to prison to prison. Household owns for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously. When from prison, is there a man calls... Paul, who is Saul, no, not here, to go and search, and finally he found him. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. It's talking about, this is the end of that man. I said, this is ministry. He said, he may give, he may not give. He may give everything, he may take everything. And he says, he said, this is how I ended my life. I was in chains. Nobody, all my church, my ministry is over, if you look at it. If you look at your life with physical eyes, my entire ministry seems to be such a disaster, such a loss, such a failure. But his ministry was the most successful in human history after Jesus Christ. The most successful. But he realized, this is it. Everybody abandoned him. He had just a few disciples left. And that's what he's talking about. And if you turn to Second Timothy chapter 4, 16 and 17. 
At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook him. He said, Jay, and he produced a quote. He said, there's nobody. I mean, you're producer at court, like if you have had like say, 40 or 30, 50 years of ministry, when you're produced for court, at least you, some church member will be there in the congregation, look at the, no? We are praying for you, upholding you in prayer. Praying for you. Nothing, nobody. Nobody. Day and night, he upheld all of them in prayer. In his hour of need, just like his master, all forsook and left, he is also there. But what does he say? Stood with me and strengthened me. Just no. It's one thing. My security from the beginning till the end. That never changed. He was with me. So Christ is our security. Christ is our security. That's what he is talking about. He's framing the church over there and he says, you know, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm really trying to encourage you. But the encouragement we give the church has to be true to the word of God. It should not be false. It should be, not be false. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Son of man has no place to lay his head. And that was how his life on earth was. Many, many, many nights sleeping in the gardens. And then finally, no house, no home, no clothes, on the cross, borrowed grave, no money, has to borrow somebody to show an illustration. That's how he was. Though he owned everything. Sansariki Malik, the Lord of the earth. But he said, this is how I came. And this is how I will leave. And he calls, this one thing I will guarantee you. If you follow me, I'll guarantee you one thing. You follow me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the end. <clears throat> now we go to 59 and 60 and see the next part. That is Luke itself, okay? Not Genesis, Luke 9. What he is telling us, the call of Rebecca. Then one fellow told him I will follow him. Then he said to another, follow me. Follow me. Boy, that's an apostolic call. That fellow would have regretted all his life later if he ever understood what the call was and what he lost. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. I've seen many, many theologians and well-meaning righteous people try to lighten it by saying, you know what, um, the Jewish custom, they bury, then one year later they take the bones and they in a urn, they put it away. And also he was basically talking about just one year's time, nothing. Just take it by the word. I said, when the word is written, I don't go into culture. To find some excuse to lighten the Lord of the calling. It's just what he said. I read it the way he said. This is one of the most shocking ones. It sends a chill up your spine. Is this the most compassionate man who walked on earth? The one who said love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Is this the same person say? Jesus says, yeah. What is he talking about? He says, listen to it very carefully, verse 60. Let the dead bury their own dead 
and but you go and preach the kingdom of God. He says, no worldly ties will take precedence over the call of the kingdom. Heavenly ties will take precedence over every earthly tie. God is not telling anyone to dishonor their parents or family or shirk responsibility or any of those things. What he is saying is that if you are ever in your life caught between these two, what will you do? Your father, family, one responsibility is calling here, the Lord is calling here. What will you decide? That has to be decided now. Eventuality may come one day in your life. What will you decide then? These are things he is talking about. This is the bride of Jesus Christ. But these are decisions. He put it all across and Holy Spirit has inscribed it because these are all decisions you take in your life one day. When you have pulled this side and God is calling you this side, which will, we, which will you go? That day you can't decide. Those decisions are taken very early that when that day comes, you know exactly what you are supposed to do. That is why the word of God becomes life. In Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, <coughs> I have seen, read hundreds and hundreds, little, no, not that many, and it's a hyperbole, okay, of pastors who preach of Abraham from Genesis 11 and 12 and don't see this at all. Even big ones, great ones, miss this completely and therefore get their reading completely wrong. Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of our glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. So there, the order of the Chaldeans. So you don't see this in Acts chapter, sorry, Genesis 11 and 12. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to your land, I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. What does it mean? As long as his father was alive, God could not move him. That's how you read it. As long as his father was alive, though the call of God was there to go to the promised land, because his father was alive, and his father was not willing to go beyond Haran, he could not move him. And Joshua 24 will say his father was a worshipper of idols. You put it all together, Genesis 11, Joshua 24, Acts 7, the picture comes out that this man was held back by his earthly ties. And he couldn't, how many years did he lose? We don't know. We know the year he entered, but we don't know the year he was called. I know the year I was called. 1988. I know the year I entered, 1994. Six years of my life I regret. Gone. Six years. I said, no. I ain't coming. I got everything planned out for my life. Boy, every, every plan was blocked and shut. Then I said, I am ready. God said, good. Okay. How many years did he lose? We don't know. Was he called at 70? Was he called at 60? We don't know. He moved. That's the problem. When you come to verse 5, finally, finally, when he moves, 
What does he find? God gave him no inheritance in it. Not even enough to set his foot on. These are things pastors don't even see. They will preach from Genesis 12 onwards and Galatians and says, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are a son of Abraham and heir according to the promise. Do you know how much Abraham, he didn't even have a foot to hold on. That's what he was. He didn't own anything. The only thing he bought with, with money in that land was a graveyard to bury his wife. He didn't own anything. Why? Because God told him, no earthly security, no earthly ties. Abraham had to go through that. No We talk about Abraham and all, Isaac and Jacob and all with big craft. Why? You know why they needed? Because they had no other security. Once they grow a little, they will say, move on, move on from here, move on, you have become too big for our land. They are strangers, they are aliens, so they have to move with their flocks too. They, if it is your own property, then you can put a fencing all around and thrive over there. They didn't own anything, it all belonged to other people and they kept on moving them. And God also kept on telling them, move on, no earthly security other than me. I am your only security and no ties. I am your tie. And any time there is a conflict between, when there is a conflict between these two ties, Abraham had to let go. He had to let go of a nephew. The only flesh and blood tie inside the promised land when he had no children had to let him go. And then Ishmael, he had to let him go, who was his own son. Then finally he had to lay his own son on the altar. That's what God is talking about. And flesh and blood will never understand this. Flesh and blood will never understand it. This division is, this division will go through and you have to quietly take it and keep on moving. First division is from flesh and blood who does not understand you at all. Because they are not even in the kingdom. Second division is between the flesh and blood within the church. Within the body of Christ. Abraham is all spirit. Lot is spirit and flesh. So first you are separated fully from flesh. After that you are separated from which is half flesh and half spirit. You see, in the promised land, Abraham is spirit and Lot is flesh. In Sodom, Lot is spirit, the rest are flesh. <laughs> okay, We may feel very, very spiritual, but if we come and sit down with probably Zakpun and we will feel like flesh. I'm just using an example because he is one person I've known, I mean, heard, read from my childhood. No, I mean, we are not talking about Richard Wimbrand and all. We will feel like worms before them, okay? We are talking about, generally talking about. Okay? Did you see what God is talking about? So this is where we have to understand. And you will always see. Can always, and this is where we have to guard our heart because it happened to me. All these things happened to me, so I can understand what it's saying. The minute you step onto this side and go start to follow in God, your own flesh and blood gang against you. Though you may have done them nothing, you're, you're kind of an outcast. Outcast. Like that's, that's, that's our certificate. We are OC. Okay, OC. Outcast. 
do you do ever? No. And you realize, okay, what's what's the issue here? Okay. And you are always an outcast in a family gathering. <laughs> Cast. You know? You will always see that when they come and when you are there. When they come in, you will always see when your parents flip over to that side. And you should be willing for that. Because what is your security is not this. Your security is always Christ. Always Christ. You have to be prepared for that. Always report that. Because within, like I said, even within the body of Christ, there is spirit and flesh. Even if they all may be born again. And the movements will take place accordingly. That is how Isaac, when he becomes less spiritual, he will gravitate towards Esau. Automatically. Though Jacob is the man called, he knows. He gravitates automatically towards that because his flesh calling out to flesh. And spirit calls out to spirit. And if these things you do not and you don't find your security in Christ Jesus, you know what? You will go with so many wounds. I was wounded in my ministry. No, you are not wounded in your ministry. You just share in his wounds. That's your glory. Paul will say, just stop it. Do you know? I carry the marks of Christ Jesus on. Just leave me leave me alone. A lot of people are there. They are wounded in ministry. What wounded in ministry? How can you be wounded in ministry if you are following Christ? No, no, nothing at all. We are not being unkind to anybody. We are not being unkind to anybody. No? And that's what happened to Jesus himself, first in his own family, his own mother who bore him, separated from him and went with the rest of the brothers. And you can always see she's with one gang, seven of them, and the mother will always come and stand outside and says, call him. So first meeting itself, he makes a division very clear, woman, what is God to do? You don't understand my father. First at age 12, he told, she didn't uh, understand. Then at 30, he told, she didn't understand. After that, you will never see her in the meetings. So it, he needed to die and rise again and appear probably to her and tell the brothers. And after that, they are there in the meeting. But he took it without blinking. So if it will happen to him, happen to him, it will happen to any one of us. And you should be prepared for that and not be offended by that. That's what I'm trying to say. Preparing for that is not to be offended by that. Not to be offended by that and hurt by that. No. That is, if it does not happen to you, then there is something wrong with you. So Jesus, Abraham had to go through that entire pattern to finally take his only son and put him on the altar. Now it was a test of his own flesh. It's not a test for Isaac. It's a test for you. Do you love me more than anybody else? We think it's a test for Isaac. No, it was a test for Abraham. Test for Isaac too. It's a test for Abraham. That's why in James chapter 3, verse 21 to 23, you will see that portion. Oh, two, two, two. Not one, sorry. Two. Was not our father Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So you are justified by your works too. You are justified by faith. And now this is 
growing in your righteousness. Did you see faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. He is the author and the finisher, or the author, the beginner, and the perfecter of our faith. When was this made? What? That was when. And scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He's the only man, if I am right, in the Bible who's called the friend of God. And he's called three times. Three scriptures tell that he was called the friend of God. Here, in the new covenant. Second Chronicles 27 and Isaiah 41, 8. Three times scripture says, Abraham, friend of God. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? That is how Israel always, you know, you know, like if my father, like, no, uh, that is how Mephisabeth gets mercy. Because his father Jonathan was David's friend. He didn't earn, do anything to earn it. David is looking at his friend Mahasabat and he says, I will show you mercy. And Israel was receiving mercy after mercy after mercy after grace poured continuously. Why? Because Abraham was God's. So when they groaned, scripture says he remembered Abraham. When Lot was taken out, he remembered Abraham. Isaiah 41 verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, and Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Our issue is that we water down the gospel. The result is we get a lukewarm church, whom Christ will spit out one day. So you go to Luke 9. And verse 60, please note, this has to do with the kingdom of God. Be very careful. This has to do with the kingdom of God. These are decisions you will make within your circles, meaning your family, extended, whatever, only when it is about the kingdom of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. These are rare occasions. This has got to do with the kingdom of God, not to do with something else. Don't, let it not be something else and you be righteous and say, I did it because that. That he curses the Pharisees for doing that. Leaders, when they try to do the same thing, but it was for their own reasons. This is for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his? It is not an idea. It's the bedrock on which discipleship is framed. Then he comes to the third one in Luke 61, 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Can I just go home and say bye? I'll go home, say bye and come back. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Go back to Genesis 24 and verse 58. Servant says, can we go? Early morning wakes up. So they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? They said, seven days, ten days, let us party, enjoy. And a girl is going. Will you go with this man? And she said, I will. I'll go. When these girls said, I will go, it is not like our girls saying, I will go. Once they went, they never came back. They never saw their families ever again. No letter, no communication, no mobile, no SMS, no video conference, nothing. You go, you go. You're gone. That is why the family says, no, she's going, we're very happy, acha match, very good and everything, but please, seven days, ten days. And he says, please, please, please. Then they thought, okay, at least girl will say, okay, seven days. They asked her. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. What did this guy say? I will follow you, but can I go home and say, please, bye, everybody. Um, I've been called to full-time ministry, please, you know, let us have a seven-day feast, like inform everybody, I will say bye to everybody and then pack my bag. And Jesus said, that is in the world. When you get a green card to US, you call everybody and do that. This is called to ministry. This is ministry. This is the call of the king and the kingdom. First Kings chapter 19, 19 to 21, the call of Elisha. So he departed from there, came down Mount Horeb, found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. This was the day they were waiting for three and a half years, no rain, the entire land was dry, cracked, no harvest, nothing. It's like, imagine after the lockdown is all over and everything starts opening and this thing and then you get a really, really good call to work in Google or Microsoft or Apple or whatever this thing and the day you get the call, you get God also says, come. This was the break you are talking about. This is what? Per annum, salary, 12 crores, whatever. No, they always quote all these things. No, in, That is how the carrot is dangled. No? And then you also get this call from God. Lord, how much? He says, nothing. Just follow me. That is what is happening. 12 yoke of oxen in front and he is by the 12th. Not one or two. Okay, it's like that old Hindi song, old Hindi songs. I don't watch movies, okay, please. Old ones. Mere desh ki dharti. Remember? So now, he's dreaming of the harvest and going and then one comes and put a coat on his shoulder. He is dreaming and singing all these things in three months, four months, sorry, yaar, my barn will be full, the next one will be full. And he looks at the coat, looks at the man, he understands exactly what it is. Elijah passed by him. It, it's not even put. We will be more polite. These prophets and were not polite like that. Put it over him and walked. <laughs> Threw his mantle on him. Okay. Threw his mantle on him. And what happens? He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. That means he just threw it and he kept walking. He kept walking. No explanation, nothing. Meaning, you don't understand this, then you are not worthy of the call. If you understand this, you know what it is. God is not calling any novice. You are somebody in your heart has been following Yahweh, preparing for Yahweh. You would have understood. You know who I am and you know what it means. And he kept walking and that fellow ran after him. 
Please let me kiss my father and mother and I will follow you. And what did he say? Go back for what I have done to you. Goodbye, mommy, daddy. Go. You are not worthy for the call. Go, go. Go say goodbye. Go. Finished. Go. This is exactly what Jesus also said. So you see this pattern has never changed. Pattern has never changed. Okay. I'll tell you one of the reasons why it is. Okay. What will happen is this. When God calls, you have to go. You have to say, yes, I'm going. It's not that you cannot go and tell your parents and all. But you already made your decision. Now you are not going for permission or anything. You are going to inform. <laughs> Mommy will cry. This was my only son. <laughs> Mommy, I understand you are hurt, but it's not true. I am leaving. Otherwise, no. Bete na. Bete mat jana. Bete. Please, bete. And daddy will say... Look at your mother crying. What do you want to do? What is this full-time ministry, a call and all? Okay, I have an idea. Okay, do one thing. Take a week. Settle down. These are not small decisions. You have to think this through. I'll talk to our priest also. Okay? And you're, this thing, you start between two opinions. But daddy is saying this, mommy is crying, and daddy is saying we'll call, talk to the priest also. That's why God says, when spirit calls, don't confer with flesh. Nobody. You have to understand what he is saying. When God calls, you don't even have to ask your father. If you ask your father and mother, you have placed them above God. You inform them. You don't ask them. If you ask them, then you are not worthy of my call. And that's what happened to Abraham. God called him and he asked his father. Father didn't understand the call, but he liked the idea of moving from Ur to Haran. He was not interested in the call. He said, yeah, Ur is becoming very boring. Let us move. I'll show you Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. That's where the move take place. Verse 31. 11.31. What does the scripture say? Terah took his son. The unbeliever is leading the believer now. Terah took his son, Abraham, and his grandson, Lot. Terah took. Who's leading whom? That's why God said, leave. Because if you don't leave, they will end leading you. Because if you take, that's why Jesus cut that thing with his mother and walk. Otherwise, they will try leading you. Because at the end of the day, it's your mother and your father. But this is ministry. This has got nothing to do with them. The call did not come from them. The work has got nothing to do with them. The power doesn't come from them. The resources doesn't come from them. Nothing is connected with them. This is with God and you. And you are accountable to somebody else. The issue with ministry, I'm telling you, is this. If you're working in Google, Raja's father won't tell him what to do in Google. If you're working in uh, office, they won't tell you what to do in the office. When the minute you come to ministry, everybody thinks they have to tell you what to do. 
Mother is telling, son, they have no wine. Brother says, this is your time, you need to go. But if you are doing in any other profession, nobody will tell you what to do. But this is the one profession nobody should interfere. One profession nobody should interfere. Will your father and mother tell you how to do um, practice medicine? No, they won't tell him. Won't tell him. This is one of the reasons why God says, you know what, you don't understand this call. You don't understand this call. If you say, let me go, say, bye, you are not worthy. You are not worthy. And that is the call of Elisha. You go back there. First Kings chapter 19. 19 to 21. So he departed, found, okay, yeah, verse 20. Go back for what I have done. Verse 21. He got the message immediately. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. What does it mean? He didn't wait for them to give a farewell party. He gave a farewell party to himself. That's the way you should do. Invite everybody to your home. Have a party. What is this? Oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm entering into ministry. I just wanted to have a party. That's what he did. He gave the party. That means he's made already a decision. You, I will not go back on this. It's done. It's a done deal. I'm not going back on this. It's a done deal. It's not that you will ask your father and finally your father will agree and call the people of this elders of the city and give a feast. No, you gave the feast. It's your decision. It's your decision. Also, of course, he burned his bridges. Okay, like we all did, we put our certificates up on the loft. Put it away. We don't burn it like Alicia did because we need it for passport and all. Are you getting the picture? The call of God? That's what Christ is asking. Did you put your hand on the plow and look back? He said, if you put your hand on the plow and look back, you are not worthy. And you don't even realize the danger of looking back. Where that looking back can take you. You see, when Lot and his family, remember? Lot's and Lot's, Mrs. Lot. Lot and his family, Genesis 19 and verse 17. When they were, finally the angels with great power managed to drag them out. They gave them four instructions. NIV says flee. KJB and KG will say escape for your life. One, do not look back. Three, don't stay anywhere in the plain. Four, flee to the mountains. Four instructions. Do you know what? They didn't keep any of those instructions. They didn't give any of those instructions. One looked back was immediately destroyed. The others were slowly destroyed. But all were destroyed, if you look at them. Because they did not keep any of the instructions. When he was told to go up, he went down. And then after that, when he was silent, he went up. At the end of it, they were all gone. That's why God says, don't look back. You get into this and you look back, 
you'll keep on going back. And ultimately, you will go back and get destroyed. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, you see another man who looked back. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Demas has forsaken me. Because he looked back. He looked back from the world he had left. He looked back. He loved this present world. He looked back. You know how many servants of God, they are still in ministry. But they looked back. And they did not realize, slowly they went. And after some time, the pulpit has changed completely. They preach a different gospel altogether, a different Christ altogether. It's all about the world. Like I said, these are not just physical movements. These are spiritual movements. That's why I said these are tests. You look at these preachers. That's why I said many of these Baptist preachers, I respect them. They don't go back. They stood there and stood there and stood there and stood there and stood there, consistently preached and never went back. A lot of others have compromised and gone back. Don't look back. Because this is the call and the walk of faith. Rebecca cannot look back. She's not fit for Isaac. Will you go with this man? Yes, I will go with this man. Are you sure? Do you want to go now? I want to go now. All these people who don't look back are looking forward in faith, not backward in sight. And Hebrews 11 puts it so beautifully. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Beautiful. These all died in faith. They were, when they were called, they walked in faith, they lived in faith, and died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed every day. That's why Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents. Okay? When do they actually live in a house? When they come, Israel lives under a house when he is under Joseph. When we are under Joseph, Jesus Christ, that is our real dwelling. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Don't worry. Till then, live like a stranger. Even if you have a house, you are a even if it's your own house, you are a stranger. You are not too comfortable with this world. For those who say such things, declare plainly they seek a homeland. And, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have an opportunity to return. God says that's always there. You can always go back from where you are called. Nobody is stopping you. This is the cost of discipleship. This is the other. You can always go back. What is to stop Pastor Vijay from going back to teaching? What is to stop me? At least I can say I have crossed the age to teach, but I still get a place to teach once this is over. If I want to teach. Right? What is that to them? Okay, we are just shutting down. Or we'll have online service on Sunday. No other meetings. Okay, no? Kitana asan? We'll go back to teaching. Simple question is, who is there to stop us? Only us. It's nothing to stop us. Only us. He says, there's nobody to stop you. You go forward, it is you. You go back, it is you. But if you go up, forward, I am with you. You go backwards, 
Christ doesn't go back into the world. Eliezer has made a vow to Abraham. My son will not go back. My son will not. The church can only go forward. The church cannot go backward. It cannot go backward anymore. It can only go forward. So every child of God can only go forward. You cannot go backward. That's why God says in Hebrews 10, 38, My righteous shall live by faith. If any man draws back, my soul will not be pleased. Not only that, you can draw back up to perdition. We don't know where Demas reached. Right? We don't know where. Did he come back? We don't know. But we know he left. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. That's a beautiful part. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. You know what? All those who are walking forward, God says, you know what? They are my children. I am their God. All those who go backward, Satan says, aren't they your children? He says, yeah, but I am ashamed of them. You know, there are children we are proud of and children we are ashamed of. God says, I'm not ashamed of them. I'm very proud of them. Very proud of them. So some of the small countryside pastors and all, God is very proud of them. Some of these big name ministries, God puts his head down and says, I'm really ashamed of them. They don't know where they started and where they have reached and where they have taken their people to. So count the cost. So we look at all this and say, who will be willing to pay that kind of cost to follow him? Right? You look at all these things and you think, I mean, Rebecca, of course, was going to get married to the biggest, best bachelor on planet Earth, right? But in our call, it's a different thing. That's on the other side. This side is, nothing is promised. Except his presence. So you look at all these senses. Who would want to pay all this price? Pay this incredible cost and follow him? What is the answer? What answer will you give to a believer? You always have to have an answer. What is the answer you will give him? Not to the unbeliever, to the believer. These are questions which believers ask. I will follow you is a question by a believer, not an unbeliever. Unbeliever doesn't even know what it is. These are questions which believers have. So believer says, who can pay this kind of price and follow him? The answer you have to say is, have you counted the cost of not following him? Have you? Have you counted the cost of not following him? What is the price you're willing to pay for not following him? Do you know what eternity will be like for those who didn't follow him? See, we are always looking at the price, the work, the ministry. But actually it is not. If you go back to Luke 9 and read from 57 to 62 once again, It happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you, wherever you go. 59, he said to another, follow me. In 61, 
another said, Lord, I will follow. It's actually got to do with the person. It's got nothing to do with ministry. We think about ministry. It's not about ministry. It's got to do with the person. Until we see that, we will not be willing to pay the price. But if you see the person, that's isn't that the eight things written about Moses, what he went through, and it is all because he saw him who was invisible. That is why when God said, I'll send an angel, he said, no. No. Angel can give them the promised land, fight the battles, give them victory, everything. He said, yeah, Joshua wants to go with them, maybe he can go. I, I ain't going. <laughs> I came for you. If you are not coming with me, I'm not moving from this place. And the issue is for most people, salvation means only this. When I die, I go to heaven. And that's like preachers say, you go to heaven and if Jesus is not there, most Christians will be comfortable. Because they lived without him here, him here anyway. He was not a daily factor in their life. It's not a daily factor. There are a lot of people in the church may not be even listening to even one message or two messages, three messages a week. Because it does not matter to them. Because the word was never a factor in their life. They were following a religion or a ritual. They were not following Christ. These are markers in our own life. Who are we following? As we close. Genesis 24 verse 58. So they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? Jesus says to the church, Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Spirit of God comes and says, Isaac's father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The gold and silver are his. The earth and his fullness belongs to his. It's all on that side. He's got only one son. Only one son. Only begotten son. He is given his life for the church. He's gone. He will not come back. Are you willing to go back? Go to him. On earth, even now, he doesn't have a place to put his head because the world still rejects him. Birds which he created have nests. Foxes he takes care of have holes. The son of man still does not have a place. Will you follow him? Will your earthly ties stop you from following him? You have to look at different parts of the gospel. You've got a lot of people who say no. When they are invited for a wedding or invited to follow, the excuses people make is a reflection of our own heart. And here is Rebecca being called a physical picture of his eternal reality. Will you go with this man? That's the Holy Spirit, Eliezer. Will you be led by my spirit? You don't know this way. You don't know your place. You have not gone. He's the only one who knows can reach you there. That means 
from the time you leave your father's house till you reach there, you have to listen to him and obey him. You have to listen to him and obey him. You can talk to him, but he will only talk to you about Isa. Remember that. You can talk to him. You have a long journey ahead. You can keep on asking him and talk to him. By the time you reach there, if you want, you will know Isaac well. So that far away when you see him, you will know that's your Lord. You can talk to him about Isaac. He will talk to you. How do you need to prepare for Isaac? The question is, will you go with this man? That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Paul will say, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And that's our struggle. I keep telling for Christians the struggle. It's not this. It's not this. It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. Everybody struggle. Even men of God, all of us, our struggle is with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because Paul will show it and he's that man who experiences it most. He will pray in Ephesians chapter 1. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because the books are shut. Unless the spirit opens it, you cannot follow him. Literally it is shut. The books are shut. It can be only opened by the spirit. And some of their explanations are fantastic. But if you really go to a good university, you can get those explanations. It's not revelation. It's not revelation. And the Bible is revelation. The book was written. It is the letter. The revelation is only given by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks. And he will pick something and you look at it. And you realize he has spoken. Long time ago I met this couple. Hindu girl from Hyderabad, married, went to Australia. Half friend had given her a Bible. Okay, once in a while she used to read. Things went wrong in Australia. Husband and wife are the verge of divorce, packed to leave everything and all mess. And the last day or something, she just picked up the Bible. Oh, my friend had said, I used to pray, yeah, Jesus talks. They said, Jesus living God. And she just was opening her Bible, going through, and she came to a book and to a portion. She looked at those verses and it said, Can one remain warm alone? If there are two Will they not keep, I mean, I'm not literally quoting, but no? if two, cannot they keep themselves warm together? Remember? Ecclesiastic, right? Yeah? Warm together? She looked at it and she felt the Spirit of God speaking to her. You go back, leaving your husband, you will be alone and cold all your days. Don't leave. Stay. And that's the first time God spoke to her. From a verse, which nobody would interpret it that way, but she knew God was speaking from that verse exactly upon her situation. She didn't leave. Today they are both happy, believers, and settled. One verse spoke to her. They were not even Christians. 
All they had was survival. All they had, no? Had a Bible. That is where we have to look at and say, you know what? If this is true of the Spirit of God, He will guide you through it all. He speaks. He speaks. He empowers. He will, He is the only one who can reach the church to Isaac. Nobody else can. And the men who are with Eliezer should have no identities. They should be like the prophets of old. And they speak. Their identity is irrelevant. Their identity is relevant. Their whole thing is to present Christ to people. And the word of God can stand on its own. It has the power to speak. It has the power to redeem. It has the power to sanctify. It has the power to heal. It has the power to deliver. It is all the Holy Spirit coming upon the word. We stand by it. That's all one has to do. And Christ will have his Rebecca. That was Paul's entire ministry was that. You know? Imagine poor man if the spirit was not talking to him sitting in the prison and thinking my whole life's labor is just gone. No, no such things. No regrets. Absolutely. No regrets at all. If you look at the whole of Asia has abandoned me. My disciples have abandoned me. There is nobody. But he says I have fought a good fight. I have finished that. What kind of a race are you running? What kind of a race? Just think about if 40,000 people leave from Joel Austin's church and he has only four people, will he say, I've finished my race? All these people, no? Everything shut down, will they be able, because of the doctrine, everything shut down, Will they be able to say, I finished my race? Jesus said, he was crucified only because of his doctrine. That he said, it's finished. It is finished. And he said, I finished my race. And they all lost because of doctrine. That's all God is talking to us. Let's pray. Father, this evening we just come to you. Nothing has changed, Lord, in all these thousands of years. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The call to is the same. Nothing changes. Eliezer who waited by the well, Christ who waited by the well, and every servant who speaks through the Spirit, it is the same. The call is the same. Come, drink of me. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, take my yoke upon yourself and learn of me. And that's our struggle, Lord. We like the first one. We don't like the second one. Because once the yoke comes, then we are bound to you and we have to allow you to lead us. We struggle every day with the second call of Christ. But until the second call comes, we are miserable and empty. And Christ cannot have his bride. Isaac won't have Rebecca. Will you go with this man? He's the same cry today. Will you follow my spirit?
Because only those who are led by the Spirit can be the mature, grown-up sons and daughters of God. So this evening, Lord, commit once again all who are listening and the church into thy hands. And I pray, Father, there would be true, true conviction in all our lives where we have opposed the voice of your Spirit. Where the voice of the Spirit has gone silent. The Holy of Holy is dark and quiet. And everything is happening in the holy place with mind and intellect and but the Spirit of God is quiet because we refuse to be led. I pray today in that inner man there would be a quickening. For some, maybe the first time, a quickening of the Holy Spirit. As you bend down, go on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. I will go with Him. I will change whatever it costs. I am willing to follow. No earthly security. No carnal ties. No worldly ties. No Lord, nothing will stop me. Pray Lord, each one will be able to make that decision. Not tomorrow. Today. Because your word again and again says, when the Spirit speaks, it is today. When you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Because he may not speak tomorrow. Touch us, Lord. Touch us. Touch us. Touch us, Lord. Touch us. That we may follow you all the days of our life. We will not look back. Look forward. We pray, Lord, you are not ashamed to call us your people. Commit every dear one in every nation where they are watching. Pray that you would touch them. Touch, Lord. Heal. Comfort. Convict. Deliver. It's all your work. Set the captives free, Lord. Put a hedge around everyone who have come through and who are being troubled by the powers of darkness. Put a hedge around them, Lord. We bind every power of darkness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We rebuke every power of darkness that is, is after Rebecca. We bind you in the name of Jesus. You will not dilute her call. You will not divide her heart. You will not pull her back to those things which she has left. Let the ears of Rebecca be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Heart be willing and obedient to go all the way. Let her heart and mind dwell on Christ and things that are above and not things that are below. Let there be a transformation in the soul and the spirit of your people. A genuine love and devotion to Christ Jesus. Let the church 
come through this purer, sanctified, closer to Christ Jesus. Then the lockdown would have worked. It would have achieved your purpose, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Bless your people in your name. The hand of the living God rest upon them. Let their voice, ears be open to the voice, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit to lead them. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.